Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen, amen. Thank you, choir. So glad that they brought the energy today on this time change Sunday, right? Very thankful for the choir and for our worship team for uh, just the energetic way that they led us today. I needed that, um, I, and I, I knew I needed that this morning when I let my dog out, and even my dog looked at me and was like, it's way too early for this. What are we doing? This does not feel like the right time. So if you felt that way at all, I'm here with you. Very good. And by the way, this is the second service today. So if you're here thinking this is the first, you really... You've made a serious miscalculation, but we can discuss that afterwards. Uh, that's okay. So glad to be here with you today. It really is good to be in the house of the Lord, just to be here on Sunday, worshiping with all of y'all, despite the chaos that may be going on all around us. There's something about this every single week, about gathering together, about lifting up the name of Jesus, opening his word and sharing together. I needed this, and I hope that you needed it as well. We have quite an exciting thing coming up in a few weeks, which is Easter Sunday. It's not just like a normal Sunday. I mean, the day that we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the day that we remember together that he is alive is an exciting day. And church, I got to tell you, we need to like get some practice in, okay? Like it's been a hard year the last year. We, we missed an Easter service gathering in person together. Like we are a little out of practice. And here's what I mean. We are going to have people at church that Sunday that don't come to church any other Sunday, that that is the one Sunday a year that they come to church. There's something that they just feel compelled on Easter Sunday. They should be a part of a worshiping community, and some of them are going to come to Coastal Oaks. We're going to have some people that probably haven't been to church at all in the past year just because of one reason or another um, with the pandemic. They've just sat things out. They've worshiped online, and we're grateful for them doing that. But this is going to be a Sunday that they say, you know what, I'm going to go back in person. And church, we need some practice. We're a little rusty. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Can you stand up with me just wherever you're at for just a moment? And we are going to practice greeting some other people. Now, we're, not, we're still going to do socially distancing. You don't have to walk anywhere. But I just want us to think for a moment. I want us to open our eyes. And remember, there are people at church that aren't the people we talk to every single Sunday. There are other people. And we need to be aware that there are other people because we need to be on the lookout for somebody who maybe doesn't know exactly where to go. Maybe this is their first time. And they're going to need somebody who can welcome them, say hello. And so we're, just, we're not going to do anything too crazy today. You don't have to stretch. You're not going to pull a muscle. All I want you to do is just in a minute, I want you to look around and maybe find somebody who you wouldn't normally talk to. Not that you don't know, but just that you maybe wouldn't talk to. And I want you to just wave hello. Or if you are an overachiever, and some of you are, I want you to just give an air fist bump wherever you're at, which could be punching. So you got to be careful. You got to think about distance of where you're at with other people. So on the count of three, just find somebody, lock eyes, wave at them, say hello. One, two, three, go for it. There you go. Yeah, if you're online today, we are saying hello to you. Welcome. Glad that you're joining us. 
we look forward to hosting you in person again sometime in the future. All right, see, that was, that was not too bad, right? We can do that. We're going to be ready for Easter in just a few weeks because we are going to be on the lookout for some people who aren't normally here. Our eyes are going to be open. While you're standing, I want to read our uh, kind of central verse for today's sermon. It's just one verse. It's from Luke chapter 19, verse 10. And uh, I'm going to read that. Actually, I'm going to ask that we can read it all together here in just a moment. Um, but thank you for standing in honor of the reading of God's word. So let's read this short verse, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. We're going to read it together. Please read with me. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. All right, so you've read it once. You could probably almost memorize it. We're going to do it one more time. Let's read it together. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. We are in the middle of a series on the book of Luke. Uh, We are looking at stories about Jesus recorded by Luke from now until Easter Sunday. And Luke He says in the very beginning of his gospel, he tells us his goal. He's not trying to make us guess. He reminds us right at the very beginning that his goal is that you would read what he wrote, this account, and you would have confidence, that you would have certainty about the things that you have been taught about Jesus. Luke wrote his gospel. It's almost like he wished that we could sit down at a table together, that Luke could sit across from you, and that perhaps in those moments when you're just not sure, is Jesus really who he said he was? Is this really what I'm supposed to be doing with my life? Should I really have turned my life upside down to follow Jesus? It's like Luke just wants to sit across from you and say, yes, 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 you can have confidence that Jesus is who he said he was. And Luke does that. Luke wants to give us confidence by sharing with us events and stories from the life of Jesus. And I say stories as opposed to memories. Because remember, Luke was not an eyewitness to these events. Luke wasn't there. He wasn't a part of the group that knew Jesus while he was alive on this earth. Luke joined the story later on. He joined up and he heard about Jesus. And Luke changed his life. Luke Luke went another direction so that he could follow Jesus, that he could be a part of the church. And his life was so consumed with following Jesus that he wanted to take on the great task of compiling a record of what Jesus did while he was on this earth. And so Luke goes and he investigates the life of Jesus. He goes and finds eyewitnesses. He reads other accounts that were circulating at that time. And he takes all of this data and he compiles it into what he calls an orderly account. But the purpose of this orderly account is so that you can have confidence about who Jesus is We can have certainty that Jesus is who he said that he was and we can live in the certainty, the confidence, the assurance that we are following Jesus, that he is worth following. And that is the purpose of Luke. And Luke compiles these stories. He records them. He arranges them. He he takes them. Obviously, as John tells us, there were too many things that Jesus did, that if you wrote down everything, not all the books in all the world could hold all of it. And so Luke is taking these stories. He's talking to people. He's trying to ask them what they remember. He's putting this together so that he can help us better understand that Jesus is a fulfillment of promises, but also that the church was carrying on 
on the work of Jesus. And you have to understand, the early church was a complicated environment. There were some challenges that they were facing that we can't even imagine. And one of those challenges that we see in the book of Acts is about who gets to be a part of the early church. Before Jesus came, there, there were the Jews. There, there was this race of people that had a promise from God. But we see in the early church that it wasn't just the, the good religious Jews who were part of the early church. It wasn't even just the Jews who were not all that religious, the ones who didn't go to synagogue, the ones who didn't make the trips for festivals. There were actually Gentiles who were joining this movement, this gathering of people. And so it wouldn't have been surprising that people would have looked around and thought, wait, is this right? Is this how this is supposed to go? Because when I look around, when I'm here, when I'm worshiping, I see some people that I'm not entirely sure that they should be a part of what's happening. I don't think that they should actually be here. In fact, I'm not too sure that this is right for them to be a part of the church. Luke writes his gospel. Luke compiles these accounts so that we can know who Jesus was, that he was a fulfillment of promises and that the church is carrying on the work of Jesus. And today we're going to look at three stories, three party stories, three, three meals, three parties that Luke records that help us remember about just how big God's kingdom is the comedian Groucho Marx was trying to get out of a club. He was a part of a, a club. He had a membership, and he was trying to, to get out of it. And no matter how he tried, they just wouldn't let him out of his membership. And so he wrote a letter to the club, and he penned one of the funniest, just most classic lines. And this is what Groucho Marx said. I don't want to belong to any club that would accept me as one of its members. I don't, it's a lot funnier than that. Y'all really didn't laugh. I know it's time change, but come on, people, let's go. Uh, Groucho Marx said, I don't want to belong to any club that would accept me as one of its members. Can't argue with that, right? I mean, he just really boxes you out. You just, there's nothing you can do. That's, that's a fair point, Groucho. And they promptly let him out of his membership. I think it's so funny because we just naturally feel how different that is than our human nature because we so often would always think we should be accepted into any club. We should be a part of whatever. What we tend to be more focused on is who shouldn't be a part of it, and we would never put ourselves in that kind of a group. We would always think of ourselves as part of the group. And that's the context that the early church finds itself in, that Jesus finds itself in, that the religious establishment of his day was far more convinced and, and concerned with who was on the outside and making sure that the lines were drawn so sharply, so brightly, that it was clear who was on the outside and who was on the inside. And no matter how the lines got drawn, they were always drawn in such a way that those in power, those in the elite, those, those people were always inside the boundaries. They were very concerned with keeping those people out and making sure that we were in. And the stories that we're going to look at today go right against that. They confront those sharp lines. They confront that idea of, I get to decide who's going to be in and who's going to be out. And they confront the underlying, the unspoken concern that I wouldn't want to be a part of something that maybe those people get to be a part of. 
I don't want to join. I don't want to be a member of something that those people, the ones I think should be on the outside, I don't want to be a part of it if they get to be a part as well. In Luke chapter 5, Luke begins this chapter with, uh, and Luke didn't write in chapters, but this chapter begins with Luke recording a story of Jesus calling his first disciples. And he calls them in the midst of their workday. They are fishing, and Jesus goes right up to them, and he gives them some fishing advice, and they have such a successful catch that they are overwhelmed with, with the success, and they decide that they're going to leave their family businesses and go and follow Jesus. It's a very honorable story, this, this calling of these disciples, right? They're right in the middle of their workday. Jesus goes up to them. Jesus invites them, and they follow him. And there's something about that that just, that just seems right. And they probably felt this is a special moment. Jesus has found us. Jesus came to our boats. Jesus singled us out. This is a special day. But as we go throughout the rest of Luke chapter 5, we see that there is another calling story. And in verse 27, it says that Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Tax collectors aren't exactly popular today, right? If you met somebody and asked what they did and they said, I work for the IRS, you're probably not saying, tell me more, right? Like, I, I want to know all about that. Like, tax collectors aren't exactly the chosen profession on career day at a high school. But if we can go back to Jesus' time, they were even less popular, far more hated because the tax collectors were extortionists. They collected their money with the threat of force. And it wasn't just their own brute squad that was their, their threat of force. They had the backing of the Roman government. That's right, they were professional thieves. They, they stole from people because that was how they made their living, whatever they took above and beyond what Rome required. And, and they did it with the threat of force, but the force came from a secular occupying government. That's who they had pledged their allegiance to. So tax collectors were hated figures in society. They were not well thought of at all. And Jesus goes up to this tax collector and says, follow me, follow me. He extends an invitation to the person who would have been most hated. And if that's not crazy enough, verse 28 says, and leaving everything, Levi rose and followed Jesus. His response is instantaneous. Jesus says to follow me, and Levi decides to leave behind his life of being a tax collector. Can you take your arms for me and, and just cross them naturally, all right? Like, imagine that Andy sang a song you really didn't like. However that, like, whatever you just naturally would do, cross your arms, right? And so you just kind of natural. Everybody's, yeah, you sort of have your way your arms fall, right? Now I want you to look down and notice which arm is on top. And then I want you to just change arms and put the other arm on top. This is... This is uncomfortable. I did this early. So I thought I would, I don't know how to do this. And it, see, it bothers me because see, when I do this, I know where my hands go. When I try and do this, I've got this hand. I don't know where it goes. And I'm, I still only have two hands. It's not a magic trick. I don't know how to do that. And I will never cross my arms like that. I am always going to cross them this way. If you tried to tell me, I need you to just change the way you cross your arms, I'd say, no, thank you. I don't do that, right? I'm not, I'm not changing that part of my life. It's a small part, 
and I'm not going to make that kind of a change. It's too awkward. It's too uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. Levi is presented with a choice to change his entire life, and he does it instantaneously. And when I say change his entire life, I do mean change his entire life. Perhaps no other disciple has such a costly calling than Levi. Because the other disciples, what was their primary profession? Most of the rest of them. They're fishermen, right? You know what they get to do later on after meeting Jesus? They still get to go fishing. They don't have to leave fishing behind. They just leave that that's going to be their livelihood. Levi gives up his entire way of life. No longer is he going to be a tax collector. He leaves all of that behind. His is a costly choice. But Levi makes that choice instantly. And he's so overcome, he's so excited about this change that he decides to host a party at his house. And he invites Jesus along with all of the people that he would have known. And it says there that there was a large company of tax collectors and others. Maybe your translation should say ne'er-do-wells, right? Like people who never do well, like they are ne'er-do, like these are not the elites. These are not the people that you would hang out with. These are the people who were on the edges, the people who were at the fringes, tax collectors and others. You don't hang out with these kinds of people at all. And yet Jesus gets invited to a party that is just full of that kind of company, tax collectors and others, and Jesus walks right in. And people see that he goes in, and they start to grumble to his disciples. It says that in my translation, they grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, it might seem odd that they would say that to the disciples, But I think what's happening there is that they're all on the outside of the party. They're not going into the house because these were good Jewish boys, his disciples. They they had grown up. They had known these are the people we hang out with. These are the people we don't hang out with. These are the people it's okay to associate with. These are the people we can't. And certainly the Pharisees would have known, I can't be anywhere in their presence. So more than likely, they're all standing outside the house. We're not going in there. And I cannot believe that you're rabbi, that this Jesus would just walk right in and pull up a seat at the table. But Jesus answers them in verse 31, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That seems so obvious of a saying. Why would Jesus even have to say that? Of course, a doctor would make his life among the sick. That doesn't tell us anything new about medicine. What it tells us is Jesus recognizes what's really going on in the Pharisees' heart. You see, the Pharisees didn't picture the Messiah as a doctor who was going to come and help make sick people healthy. They didn't picture the Messiah as a doctor who was going to try and take the sick and make them whole. No, they pictured the Messiah as somebody who would eradicate, who would just get rid of the sick people and only leave those that they thought were healthy. That's what they thought the Messiah would do. And Jesus tells them not at all. Jesus is the doctor. Jesus is going to make his life among the sick because that's what Jesus does. Jesus pulls up a seat at the table, he reclines with the sick, and he heals them. That's who Jesus is.
Now, two chapters later, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is invited to another dinner. This time it's thrown by a Pharisee. And there are three outrageous things that happen in this dinner. But they all kind of happen around this parable that Jesus tells. And Jesus tells a a parable, a story, to his host. And it's about debt. His story is, is, imagine that a money lender lends some money to two people. And one of them, he lends a very large sum, and one of them, he lends a very small sum, but neither one of them can pay them back. And so the man, the money lender, this person, they decide to forgive the debt. Which one do you think loves that person more? The one with the large debt or the one with the small debt? Now, we know the answer to that. Of course, it's the one with the larger debt, right? Their appreciation, their gratefulness, their love would be bigger than the other. I mean, we understand that. It's one thing if somebody says, I'll buy you McDonald's. It's another thing if somebody says, I'll buy you a steak dinner. Like we understand the differences in those amounts. There's a certain amount of gratitude that comes for the larger gift. And Jesus tells that parable in the midst of some outrageous things at this dinner party, a dinner party unlike any other. Because when Jesus and this host and and the other people that would have naturally would have been there, when they're all reclining at the table, a woman walks in. And it's not just any woman. This woman is notorious. She is known in the community. Because in verse 37, it tells us that she is known to be a sinner, She is known to be living a sinful life. This woman has a reputation that precedes her. And she enters into the dinner party that's taking place. That seems kind of odd for us because we're used to locked doors. We're used to maybe like more well-defined boundaries in our physical space. But for them, this wouldn't have been as odd. Their spaces were a little more open. People would come and go. Doors didn't lock exactly the same way. So there would have been this ability to enter into an environment, into a party, into some proceedings. And so the fact that she comes in isn't what throws them off. It's what she does next. The woman sees Jesus, and she is so overcome with her affection, so overcome with her gratitude, that she begins to weep over Jesus. She had brought perfume to pour on his feet, to anoint him, to to bless him. But before she can even do that, her tears are wetting Jesus's feet. And then she does what would have been scandalous in their time. She takes down her hair You don't just do that in public if you were a woman living in these times. She takes down her hair and begins to wipe Jesus' feet as an expression of her gratefulness, her love, her devotion, her affection for Jesus. She's overcome with emotion. Now, all of this is far too much for Simon. Simon, um, we don't know exactly why he invited Jesus to that dinner, but we probably could expect that he had some questions about Jesus. He may not have been completely out on Jesus yet. Maybe he was just curious. He had heard the stories. He he maybe didn't like some things about Jesus, but he wanted to learn more, and maybe he wanted to hear it directly from Jesus, so he invites him over. But we see in verse 39 that he's, he's had enough. He's done with Jesus. Because it says in verse 39 
that if he was a prophet, he would know who it is who's touching his feet, right? Like Simon has figured it out. He's watching the situation and he realizes if this was God's person, God's spokesman, then clearly God would have let that person know who was touching his feet and he would have recoiled. He would have shunned them. He would have pushed them away. He would have drawn that boundary to remind them that you are on the outside. You are not a part of this. If he was a prophet, he'd know who's touching his feet. Simon, he's had enough. But Jesus points out the outrageous rudeness of Simon as a host to begin with. You see, as a first century um, host, it would have been common for you to greet the other person with a kiss. But Simon doesn't do that. He doesn't greet Jesus with a kiss. To come to a dinner party meant you would have had to travel and their streets weren't exactly clean. And, and even if it, it, they were certainly dusty and so your feet would have been covered in dust and, and the way that they reclined at a table is kind of laying over on one arm. And so you might be by somebody's feet. And if you're going to sit at a dinner table, you want to approach with cleanliness. And so a good host should have offered water for the guests to wash, but he didn't offer Jesus any water. And, and a good host could have had some oil and poured it on their head to bless them, but Simon doesn't do any of that. And Jesus points out the differences between this woman who is known to be sinful and Simon, the one who's a Pharisee, the one who's looked up to by so many and his outrageous rudeness as a host. And Jesus, in that moment, does what would have been more outrageous than any of the other things he looks at the woman. He sees her affection. It's, he knows her past. He knows the reputation. And yet in verse 48, he says to her, your sins are forgiven. And if it hadn't already been an awkward dinner, at that moment, everything would have just stopped. And Luke records in verse 49 that they're sitting around the table and the people there are asking, who is this? Who is this that he thinks he can forgive sins? Who is this person? Simon thought maybe he was a prophet, and now people have no concept. Who is this person? But Luke is telling us who he is. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who sits at the table with those who have a debt they can never repay, and he forgives them. That's who Jesus is. And we carry on a little bit further in the story uh, of Jesus into Luke chapter 19. And we meet a man named Zacchaeus. Now we know all about Zacchaeus, right? What was Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a, and a, was he, right? Yeah, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree. And why did he do that? So he could see what he could C, 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 not to speak Spanish, right? Like that's not what it was, no. He wanted to C, 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 Jesus. That's what he was doing. We know all about Zacchaeus. We have this story, this song. We, we've, we've heard about Zacchaeus before. But you know what I've missed about the story of Zacchaeus until I was reading it this week is the contrast that Luke presents right when he introduces us to Zacchaeus. He tells us right here, Zacchaeus is a tax collector, but he's not just a tax collector, is he? What does it say in verse two? Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief 
tax collector. This is El Jefe that we're talking about. Like he oversaw the tax collectors. This is not just any old tax collector. He is the one in charge of other tax collectors. So if you don't like tax collectors, do you like Zacchaeus? Absolutely not, right? I mean, he is the worst of the worst in an awful profession. We don't like Zacchaeus. And what else does Luke say about him in verse two? Zacchaeus was rich. Zacchaeus is wealthy. But then in verse three, it says that he couldn't see Jesus. Such an interesting contrast right there. This powerful person, this person who is the chief tax collector, this one who had so much authority, this one who had so much wealth, but he can't see Jesus. He has all of the authority, all of the wealth, and yet he can't see Jesus at all. And so he climbs up in a tree. And as he's in this tree waiting for Jesus to pass by, Jesus pauses and he sees him and he calls to him by name in front of everyone. And Jesus invites him for, well, I say that wrong. Jesus doesn't invite Zacchaeus for dinner. Jesus invites himself over for dinner, right? I love the audaciousness of Jesus in this moment. Zacchaeus, come down because I'm going to your house for dinner. Like, what a great thing. Jesus says, get down out of that tree. I'm going to your house. You're taking me to dinner, Zacchaeus. And he does it in front of everyone. And again, there's some contrast here. Zacchaeus, how does he react? He comes down out of the tree and he's overjoyed. He greets Jesus. He is thrilled to have Jesus over to his house. But the people who are lining the street, the people who are there, who would have seen all of this take place, they grumble again. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. He's going over to a a sinner's house. There is this grumbling because nobody would have liked Zacchaeus. Nobody would have thought that Zacchaeus is where Jesus should be eating dinner at all. That's not the person that's gonna host Jesus tonight. Not this guy, not the chief tax collector, no way. And Zacchaeus must have gotten an idea of what was happening because he makes a stunning public declaration. All of this is happening right out in front of everybody. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, any time he would have traveled would have been an event. People would have lined the streets. They would have wanted to gather and to just catch a glimpse of Jesus. So this road is probably just covered with people. We know that it's crowded. That's why Zacchaeus can't see. And right in front of everybody, Zacchaeus makes a promise to Jesus. What does he say? I'm going to make total restitution for the life that I've lived. He says that I'm gonna give half of my money to the poor. Zacchaeus was rich. Zacchaeus is wealthy. And he says, I'm going to give half of my money to the poor. But he doesn't stop there. He, he knows that he's cheated people. And he says, I'm going to give them back everything that I've cheated them. But I'm gonna double it. No, I'm gonna triple it. No, I'm going to give them back fourfold what I've cheated them. Right in front of everyone, all of the people that he had been taking money from, Zacchaeus, this wealthy, wealthy chief tax collector, says, I'm gonna give away half my money and I'm gonna pay back everything that I've stolen four times over. Zacchaeus started that day wealthy and he ended that day a follower 
of Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus, in watching all of this take place, is this verse, verse 10 of Luke chapter 19. It says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus had lost his way. Zacchaeus was not living a life that was honoring God. Zacchaeus had lost his way. But Jesus says, that's why I came. That's why I'm going to your house. That's why I'm gonna pull up a seat at your table. It's because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus pulls up a seat at the table of the lost and he saves them and brings them back home. Luke writes the gospel as the early church is unfolding, as people have questions about what the early church is supposed to look like, this new following of Jesus, are we doing things correctly? And it's like Luke is giving us the membership application, the expectations for what it should look like in the church. And Luke says, you know what we should expect in the church? You know the kind of people that Jesus welcomed in? He welcomed in the sick, He welcomed in those who were in debt. Jesus welcomed in those who were lost. And my friends, I'd say that invitation still extends to us today. That if you're here and you'd say, there's something rotten inside of me. There's a sickness. And no matter how hard I try on my own to cure it, I can't do it. I need a physician. I need a doctor to heal me. I need need something greater than anything I've found to cure this sickness. Well, perhaps that's the first step to getting well, is recognizing that you're sick and in need of healing that can only come from Jesus. Perhaps today you would say, "I, I feel like I am in debt that I can never repay that, that, that maybe I've used up every good act from anyone else in life and I'm never gonna be able to repay that. Maybe you have contempt for other people such that they do something kind for you and you can't even repay it back. You just take their goodness and you hang on to it and you are living forever in the debt of everyone that you're around. And you know that the bill is coming due because it always does. It comes for all of us. And what's gonna happen when we find ourselves having to pay this great debt? The good news is, friend, there's somebody who wants to pay that debt on your behalf. Or maybe you just find yourself lost. You know that you're off track. You know that that it happened and and you don't even know how. You just know that your life is not headed in the direction that God wants it to go. There's this rule in aviation, the one in 60 rule. And the idea is that if you are even one degree off course, that the longer you fly, the bigger an impact that's gonna have. And that if you're even one degree off course, that after 60 miles of flying, you are going to be a mile away from your target. Think about that, one degree doesn't seem that big a deal. If we said, okay, here's God's plan for my life and I'm mostly doing it, I'm just kind of one degree off course. We would say that's not that big a deal. And in flying, it's it's not. Because if you're only one degree off, um, after one foot, you're only gonna miss your target by 0.2 inches. It's pretty trivial. In flying, if you're only one degree off, after 100 yards, that is a football field, you're only going to be off by five feet. It's not a problem at all, right? You know, after one mile, you're only going to be off by 92 feet. Again, that's like we're starting to notice, but it's not that big of a deal. 
But if you're only one degree off course and you were to fly the entire equator of the world, you'd land almost 500 miles off target. The point is that a small action, small actions accumulated over time make for a really big difference. And maybe somewhere you got one degree off course and just over time, after enough choices, your life is headed somewhere far away from where God wanted it to go. I've got good news for you. There's somebody who came to find those of us who are lost and off course. Now, maybe none of those describe you, and you'd say, I'm not sick. Congratulations. And maybe you'd say, I I don't think I have any debt. I think I'm able to cover everything. That's great. Good for you. And maybe you'd say, of course I'm not lost. I'm, I'm doing everything exactly the way that I should. I would say, good job. And if none of those describe you, let me say one thing further. Perhaps church isn't for you. Perhaps the worshiping community of God is not the place for you because you figured it out, and that's great for you. But the confession of those of us who follow Jesus is that I am sick. There is a sickness in my heart of sin, and I can't heal it on my own, and I need a physician. The confession of those of us who follow Jesus is that I've got a debt that I'm never going to repay on my own, and I need somebody else to step in on my behalf. And the confession of those of us who follow Jesus is that I am lost. And despite my best navigational skills, my best attempts to make sense of life, I recognize that I am off course. And in all of those situations, friends, if those describe you, I have the best news you will ever hear is that Jesus stands ready. He's ready to heal you. He's ready to forgive you. And he's ready to find you right in the middle of your lostness and to bring you back home. That's the kind of Messiah that we follow. That's who Jesus is, and he stands ready, waiting for you.